I'm Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a great privilege to bring to us God's Word this morning. And so let's give our full attention to the reading of God's Word. It comes from Luke chapter 14, verse 12 to 14. He, Jesus, said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return, and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Uh, As we've been going through some topics about friendship, I thought for the, the break we have this Sunday from that, to tackle a topic that maybe gets in the prereq for friendship, which is hospitality, right? How do friendships often begin? Well, I think it's somebody taking that initiative to go to someone who's more uh, more or less a stranger to, to get to know them. And this topic resonates with me because I confess I'm not good at hospitality. Maybe it's not very natural. Uh, Sometimes it feels hard and costly. Maybe it's off the coattails of COVID and how we've just gotten so used to doing our own thing, uh, isolated, apart from people. And so I think as a church, maybe, if you can relate with me, this is maybe an area of weakness of ours that we might need to really give thought to growing in. And so today, I think it's an important topic for us, and I feel convicted that unless we get hospitality right, unless we understand how to turn strangers into friends, or maybe beyond that, to even care to turn strangers into friends, I think our our church won't grow, we won't grow. I think we'll miss out on on experiencing the work of God, and I think the world will see that our actions or our lack of actions, in fact, speak volumes. And I don't want our words about our community to be louder than the actual relationships that we have in this community. So hospitality is so important. It's so important that Paul even lists it as a qualification, right? A characteristic that's required for pastors, elders, and leaders. Right? This, this character trait, hospitality, has to be what distinguishes our leaders. It ought to distinguish Christians. And I really hope it comes to distinguish us as a church. And so to start, just some brief definitions about what we're talking about here. And so we'll start with hospitality straight from Google, okay? Defining hospitality, the friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. A very broad definition. And you might be thinking, yeah, I practice hospitality. I I do that regularly. I I host and I have people over. But Biblical hospitality, what the Bible says about it, is a little bit different. Maybe not just a little bit. It's, it's more narrow. In the Greek, the word translated hospitality is this compound word that literally means loving 
stranger, loving the stranger. And so hospitality is not something you show to your in-group or your family. It's not something for your current friends. But I think a helpful definition here is to turn strangers into friends. It's for those outside your circle, the people you normally would not hang out or be with. Biblical hospitality is not transactional. It's not about what's in it for me. What do I get? And so this is why it is pretty different of a definition from the rest of the world. Now, hospitality, by this definition, I confess, it's not easy. It's not natural. It, It takes sacrifice, and it can be costly, but I do believe it'll be even more costly for us as a church, as followers of Jesus, if we don't practice this, if we don't live this out. And so two points for us today. First, why we don't practice hospitality, and then why we need to practice hospitality. All right, so first, why we don't practice hospitality. Well, in our passage today, Jesus opens up saying to the host who invited him to this dinner party, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they invite you and you be repaid. You see, Jesus, he brings this up because he knows something about us, right? He knows that this is normal for us. This is our natural tendency to live in this way. If I asked you, think about this. This morning, who do you normally show hospitality to, right? Or who do you want at your dinner table, right? Think about that. Maybe visualize them. Who do you want? I imagine most of us would think our friends, our relatives, maybe the occasional friend of a friend, people who maybe might give us a good time, right, benefit us in some way. And I think the irony of this, Jesus knows that this is how most of us think, and so he has the audacity, right, Jesus. He tells the host of this dinner, hey, you know, you, you're a Pharisee, people in here, they're probably very elite, have status, top of the top, but you should really switch up your guest list sometime, right? Because kindness shown to those who will repay you doesn't impress God. To be elevated in God's eyes, in some sense, is to waste your dinners, waste them. Use them on those who aren't gonna pay you back, who won't elevate your status, who maybe will never be in your inner circle, who might actually need a lot of help from you, who might inconvenience you a little bit. You know, those kind of people, you should should invite them. He tells them to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame. and, And this isn't to just say only invite those type of people, but Jesus is making a point here because those were the type of people that probably the Pharisees thought, man, they're... A lot of these people, they're cursed by God. They're unclean. They're in that situation because they made poor decisions in life. They did bad things. Like, why would I want to associate with that kind of a person, right? Cursed by God? No, thank you. 
And so the point is those whom they were most tempted to avoid, that's the kind of person Jesus says you ought to consider to invite. So who is that for you today? Who are the people in your life, people that come to mind maybe that you most naturally want to avoid? Maybe they're here in this church. And Jesus' point for you this morning, for me this morning, is whoever we're thinking of now, there's a good chance that these, those you're thinking about are the very people that we ought to spend our hospitality on. Invite those who have nothing that they can give you back. Now, I want to make a quick disclaimer. This is not to say don't ever invite your friends or family or relatives but maybe more properly understood is don't only invite them, right? It isn't wrong to ever invite and spend time with those people, but it is wrong to only invite such people. And so if you're in your life, you only do that, then this is something for you and I to think about. Christian hospitality aims to turn strangers into friends, And this is not easy, not natural. And I preach just as much this message for myself, wanting to wrestle with this for myself. So one quick reason, other than why it's not natural to us, of why this is hard, one other reason is this. I think we confuse hospitality with entertaining a lot of the time. We confuse the two. We fear we're not going to be good hosts. My home... It doesn't look very great. It's kind of messy. It doesn't look like Pinterest. But notice the fear is about me, right? My home won't look, won't make me look good. You see, entertaining is often about the host, right? Entertaining is about the host, but it's not about the guests. Hospitality is more about the guests. Hospitality is not about showing off, but about serving And so while the two, while hospitality and entertaining, they might look similar on the surface, their motives are very different, right? They might look the same on the surface, but their motives are very different. Hospitality aims to bless others, not to impress them. Hospitality aims to bless others, not to impress them. It's about making people feel welcomed more than wowed. The goal isn't to draw attention to yourself, but it's to put the attention on your guest. And I think a great illustration of this is the story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You know, in reading this passage again in preparing this message, I couldn't help but notice maybe this is the biggest difference between these two sisters is the mindset of hospitality 
versus entertaining. Martha, who's distracted with much serving, probably trying to wow the guests, right? We might as well call her Martha Stewart, right? She's trying to make this amazing kind of a preparation. She's focused on it. But Mary is focused not on preparations per se, but on the people, on a person, on Jesus. She gives him her listening ear, her attentive spirit. See, hospitality is more caught up with loving others well instead of worrying about what others might think about us. It's more caught up in the quality of the conversations than the quality of the cuisine. Right? It's caring more about connecting with the person. And so hospitality, let's not confuse it with entertaining. And that also takes the pressure off to impress. And as we take it off, I think there's benefits to that just in our relationships, right? In doing so, we can present our real. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to try to put our best foot forward. We don't always have to have our homes look like a picture-perfect catalog. You know, I confess, M- Michelle and I, we, we wrestle with this often. We prior probably had a, a, an entertaining mindset a lot where we would clean things up, want everything to be so great. It would stress us out. Uh, and now with a 19-month-old daughter named Mia, if you come to her home, you're just going to see like toys on the ground. It's messy. There's sink, uh, dishes in the sink. And it's clearly an imperfect house. But that's the reality of life that we're living in, right? That's the day-to-day, what we are going through. And I think that can be helpful in building real relationships to showcase transparent hospitality that this is life. When you enter my space, you get to see the real me, how I do things, what it's like. And we don't have to pretend. We don't have to put up the pretenses. And you can just invite people in. Now, I do want to disclaimer hospitality. It doesn't need to look grand or extravagant. But it also doesn't necessarily have to be less, right? If that's something you love, if you're like, man, I'm going to cook that five-course Michelin star-looking type of meal for the, my friend or, uh, or the stranger or this new person, um, if that is something you want to do, not primarily to impress them, but because you want to bless them, uh, that can be such an act of love, right? Because it's a labor of love to know how much time and energy you put into it because you really wanted to welcome them and honor your guests. That's a great thing. But if it doesn't have to be that, right, just make sure whatever you do, that the important part is that we are bringing people in, welcoming the outsider. Now, a second reason why we don't practice hospitality is this, is if we're honest, we idolize self-advancement. We idolize self-advancement. What's in it for me, right? Really, is it worth it? If I weigh it, is it, is it going to help or benefit me? You know, it's interesting in these verses, right after our passage, Jesus responds with another banquet story. And from this other story's perspective, it's God hosting, sending out invites to welcome people into God's banquet. And notice this, Luke 14, 18 and 20, look what he says. So 
God is inviting guests in, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Now, these excuses made to not accept God's hospitality are often the same excuses made, I would think, to not extend our own hospitality, right? Often they're one in the same. We fall into certain idols of our lives. Maybe it's the idol of materialism. Those who love things too much, if you love things too much, and you love people too little, you're, you cannot practice hospitality. Like you literally won't do it. When you care so much about your possessions, this field I bought, right? These five yoke of oxen, the new couch, the new flat screen, then you're not gonna open up your home to people who might not add value, who might come in and maybe get your new white rug dirty whose kids might come and like break that cup, that expensive cup you have, right? Who might cost you time to clean up energy resources. If this is your idol, then you're gonna, you're gonna use people to get things, but you're not gonna use your things to serve people. I think aside from the idol of materialism, we see it here. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Right? Another way we self-advance is sometimes we're just only about our family, right? It's just me and my blood. My right? family's all that matters. Blood is thicker than water. And so all of our time is only about my family. You know, it's interesting. There's some controversy. And so I don't know how true it is. There's some controversy about where that uh, saying comes from. Blood is thicker than water. Some would say it originally comes from another ancient proverb that actually means the opposite. And I thought it was so interesting. Blood is thicker than water. Some say it comes from blood. The blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. And this idea is the blood of the covenant of committed relationships done by choice is thicker than these natural relationships, these familial relationships. And I think that's such a picture of the church community, isn't it? That Jesus, his blood, the blood of the covenant he made with his people, that ought to be thicker than anything else. That ought to shape and frame our priorities. And so if you made any of these things idols in your life, material, household, your family, if you're withholding hospitality, making excuses of why uh, these people, they cannot come to my banquet, then would you consider maybe those are the very reasons that I cannot come to God's banquet? Now, I do, of course, want to balance this out. It doesn't mean to always, like, overextend yourself. After all, you can't give if there's nothing in you to give, if you're tapped out and you're exhausted. So pace yourself well. Hospitality, it takes effort, time, and work. And so prepare for that. Rest well so you can give well. 
Now I want to pivot to why then we need to practice hospitality. And I want to start with this quote of why we need to practice hospitality. Uh, it's by Rosaria Butterfield. She shares about her story often. She writes a book uh, about how she was converted and basically was converted through hospitality. She says this, Kent, her husband, and I practice daily hospitality as a way of life because we must. We remember what it is like to be lonely. We remember the odd contradiction to be told on the Lord's day that you are part of the family of God, but then to limp along throughout the rest of the long week like an orphan begging bread. We know that chronic loneliness can kill people and destroy their hope and faith. Right? We need to practice hospitality because so much is at stake. I think first, one of the things is our witness. It affects our witness as a church. People think of evangelism uh, often in terms of on the street, right? Street evangelism or inviting someone to church. And so I think a lot of us, we're more inclined to invite someone out to church than to our homes at times. But people are less likely to go to church than your home especially when a lot of people have assumptions of what church might be like, right? And usually those are like negative assumptions, right? The media or sometimes the culture will portray church in a certain way. And so people, people don't want to be a part of that. But if I invite you into my space, uh, there might be a little more comfort and you can observe Christianity in action, how I live it out in my life, right? What I like, how I host, how how we pray before a meal, how I interact with my family, how I raise my kids. Rosaria Butterfield, in her book, uh, she writes about how she was invited into this home of a pastor. He didn't invite her to church right off the bat, but he invited her to his home week after week, and all they did was share life, share meals, talk about random things, here and there, they would talk about Jesus. But she shares that it was being in this home of this pastor that she came around and she started to believe. And she was converted. And she says that if he would have invited me to church, I would have never came back to his house. And so consider for hospitality, opening the doors to your home in a setting that might offer for interactions and conversations that don't happen elsewhere. I think about another story I read about uh, Daryl Davis. He's a, a black man who's a Christian who spent the last 30 years uh, befriending members of the racist group, the KKK. And he started to do that because it so bothered him. How can you hate me when you don't even know me? How can you hate me when you don't know me? And he had this, this thought that I think if we really got to know each other, things would be different. And so he committed himself to battle hate with hospitality. And he would sit down with KKK members. He would invite them to his home and they would talk and listen to one another. They would learn about their lives, their views, their thoughts, not necessarily agreeing but he would give respect and space for those views to come to light and he would push back and talk about it. 
And over time, many, many ended up leaving the clan. And when they did, they would give Daryl their clan robe and their hood. And he had this collection of a bunch of KKK robes in his house from people who were now his friends. And he says this. He says, I'm a musician, not a psychologist or sociologist. If I can do that, anybody in here can do that. Take the time to sit down and talk with your adversaries. You'll learn something. They'll learn something. When two enemies are talking, they're not fighting. They're talking. It's when the talking ceases that the ground becomes fertile for violence. So keep the conversation going. Right? What, a, what an act and example of hospitality where sometimes it doesn't just turn strangers into friends, but even turns enemies into friends. Second, why we need to practice hospitality is it offers help to others. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, there's this verse that says this, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Right, a lot of us have thought, yeah, God will not tempt us without giving us that way of escape, that we can overcome it, we can endure it. Think about this. I think part of how we overcome and find that way of escape is through hospitality, right? Sin demands isolation. Sin thrives in getting us alone, divided by ourselves, right? When we're alone, where sometimes we want to just indulge in maybe sexual sin, maybe it's depressing, depressive thoughts, suicidal thoughts, battling anxiety, drug abuse, right? And so imagine if somebody, maybe even after church, like I was headed home and that's what I was going to do. I was going to be alone and then I was going to do that. But if in hospitality, someone reaches out, so you're not alone and you're with them, then that was your way of escape. Right? God gave you that way to make it out of that temptation. And so some of us, it's helpful to remember, as you practice hospitality, you might be doing a big thing for someone who would be doing something else, something harmful to themselves. And third, lastly, it provides us the joy of giving. We need to practice hospitality because it provides us the joy of giving maybe in a way that is similar to God, right? There's something very special in giving a gift that can never be repaid. And I'm sure part of what Jesus meant when he said it's better to give than to receive is exactly this, that it explains some of the the delight and the pleasure that God gets in giving us the gift of salvation, right? We could never repay that. But God is pleased to give that to us. You know, in one sense, we can say the whole Bible can be viewed from the angle of hospitality. Right? Who does God want at his dinner table? 
You know, in Leviticus 19, the Old Testament, there's this verse, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as native among you. Basically, treat the stranger just like yourself because you are strangers. I am the Lord. In other words, God sets out to turn strangers, sinful strangers, into friends. How does that happen? Well, God himself would come in person as Jesus, the master of the feast. And he's doing in real time in the gospels what he said in his parables, that he's come to gather people in, to invite people in to his feast, his coming feast. Right? Jesus ate with sinners. He shows them hospitality. He takes Simple things like loaves and fish and turns it into massive meals. He provides the finest wine at a wedding, but perhaps his most important act of hospitality was on the cross where he himself would become the sacrificial meal. A meal we're going to celebrate later in communion, but a meal where his body, the bread of life, was broken. And his blood, the new wine, was shed for us. And he invites us, sinful strangers, to become his friends by trusting in his work of hospitality for us. You know, this morning, you've been invited to God's dinner table, right? Will you accept the invite? or the coming feast, or will you make excuses? For those of us who have accepted this invitation, I love this quote, and I hope it soaks in because this is true of all of us, that we were the orphan, but God adopted us into his family. We were the stranger without a country, but we have been brought into the kingdom. We were the widow, but Jesus has become our groom. We were the poor, but we now have a glorious inheritance. We are pilgrims here on earth, but Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. Marvel regularly at this grace. And remember that the proper response to God's grace is grace. A lifetime of gratitude, generosity, and hospitality. Now, I want to end just real quick with some practical how-tos of hospitality. And we'll start with this first one. Make the most of mealtimes. Make the most of your mealtimes. Because eating in the scriptures is more than about the food. I love what Justin Early says. He says, it's remarkable how much the Bible talks about food as a spiritual matter. Rarely is food just about physical nourishment. It is always about driving us toward relationship with God and others. Food, there's something spiritual about food, right? There's something special about it, right? Maybe that's why food can so affect our moods, right? Sometimes we talk about food like, man, that was heavenly. And I think we were created that way for a reason, that food was so tied to relationship 
And I think we still practice that now. It's sort of ingrained in us, right? You meet with people over meals. You go to a cafe, right? First dates are done over food. And so there's special, something special about food. And I think we ought to think that way. Use your meals to invest in people, right? If food is meant for that, then think, how can I invest in people with the meals that I have? Because everybody has to eat. And so everybody has an opportunity to use that to draw near people. And so budget for it. Save so that you can spend on others, on hospitality. Plan maybe a meal a month. I know Michelle and I, my wife, this is something we want to get better at. And we're setting things aside, planning, like plan for it. Once a month on this day, at this time, this is an open slot. Let's try to fit someone in. Maybe once a week, right? Just make sure it's, it's not never. Second, uh, invite people into your rhythms. I think we typically associate hospitality with opening up our homes, but it doesn't have to look that way. There are a lot of ways to do this. We can be creative, right? Turning strangers into friends, that's pretty flexible. It's pretty broad. So start where you are, depending on what life stage, what season you're in, right? If you have, ki- if you have to shop, invite someone to go to the market with you, right? Invite someone out to go to the park with you and your, your, your kids. If you have new neighbors in the area, offer to show them around, off, uh, give them a list of maybe your favorite local hotspots, offer to go with them one day. I've been like playing around. There's an app called Nextdoor, and you get to see who in your neighbors, uh, who in your neighborhood or your neighbors, uh, what, what they're thinking, and their comments, what they want. Some are like, hey, anybody have an egg? That, that's an opportunity to connect. Uh, if you don't have a space or a home, uh, go out, right? Hospitality, you can do that outside as well at a coffee shop over boba. Or it can even be going to them. If you'd be open, I would love to visit you, right? And we see Jesus do this right? with Zacchaeus. He says, I'm coming to your house tonight, right? And so Jesus demonstrates for us, you can show hospitality as both host and guest. Because if it's about turning strangers into friends, then both sides can contribute to that. And so hospitality can blend the role of host and guest because it's about the people. And how you can do that as a guest, be a good guest, right? Maybe think about bringing a housewarming gift. Offer, I'll bring dessert. You know, when you're there, offer to help out. Maybe don't even offer, just start helping out and just say, I'd love to do that. Right? Maybe you're a student today, you're, you're in youth group, right? Think about school. You have breaks in between, over lunch, look for someone who's alone. If you're more introverted, uh, grab an extroverted friend and go together, right? But at the end of the day, truly care. Truly care about people. Ask how you can pray for them and remember it. Follow up. Hey, I've been praying for that. How's that going? Hospitality doesn't have to fit neatly into a box, but it can start where we are just by inviting people in to our rhythms. And lastly, uh, look to welcome strangers. 
Look to welcome strangers, I mean, everywhere, but especially at church. And I want to bring this up. I, I read an article on five must-know facts about first-time guests, and there's two of them that I just want to highlight for us today. But one of them starts like this. Most church members aren't friendly. And I was like, whoa, most church members aren't friendly. Churches claim to be friendly. In fact, many churches put that expression in their logo or tagline, right? Like our church is a place everyone belongs, right? The truth is that most church members are friendly to the people they already know, but not to guests. And this article goes on to say, the six most important minutes of a church service in a visitor's eyes are the three minutes before the service and the three minutes after the service. Most people know that from those six minutes, whether or not that they're going to come back next week or ever. And I do think this is pretty true. I remember when I first came to our church, I think I shared this before in 2010, somebody on the welcoming team, they greeted me, struck up a conversation. And then the next week I came, they greeted me by my name. And that always stuck with me that, wow, you remembered my name. It wasn't just like a formality. Hey, this is my welcoming team member job. But like you put thought to remember my name and what we talked about. And I was showed hospitality. And I was a stranger. And now that person, I mean, we're friends. And it just shows how far hospitality can go. And so after the service, I really want to encourage you, if possible, don't immediately just go to your friends. Your friends will probably be there for a while, right? We, we loiter there for a long time. But there are people that those three minutes matter a lot. And so consider meeting someone new, striking up a conversation. Maybe invite them to lunch after service or connect with them during the week. You know, we covered a lot, and as we end here... Um, Despite all we talked about, it won't matter if we don't do it, right? There's a lot we talked about, but it's not going to make a difference if we don't obey the words of God to do it and live it out. And I'm convinced that this is not just something optional for churches, for us, for me, but to do otherwise actively destroys our witness, our witness to the world. Beyond that, I think we, we're missing out. We're missing out to experience God, to see his transforming work in people's lives, in our lives, all the friendships that could be, that are possible if we were just hospitable. And of course, many of us would not have come to faith or have not have committed to this church if it weren't for people reaching out to us when we were the stranger, right? We love the stranger. We welcome them because we were the stranger. And hospitable people are in the business of turning strangers into friends so that by God's grace, those friends might go on to become a part of the family the family of God.